Welcome to Frame FM. My name is David Honig and with my co-host, Robbie Mitchell. Frame FM brings together business leaders to share their perspectives on the role of technology in business operations and their experiences driving company-wide impact. Today, I am so excited to have Russ Fraden on the show. Russ has had, to say the least, a very successful career path that started in BD to Corp Dev to being a CEO, founder, and serial entrepreneur of two companies with very successful exits. Russ is currently vice chairman and board member at Carbon Health. Prior to that, he was CEO and founder of Dynamic Signal, CEO and co-founder of Adify. He was an EVP at Comscore and started his career at Flycast as BD and Wine.com. Russ, over his career, has had a clear path of exploring new market opportunities in increasing levels of scope and complexity. Over time, a transition of focus from media to ad tech to tech-enabled enterprise software, employee communications, to now tech-enabled primary care as board member. Russ Fraden, welcome to the show. Russ, I wanted to give you a chance to talk your book for a, a second. I want to ask you a little bit about Carbon Health. As a tech person, but as an outsider in healthcare, there's been a lot of fragmentation over the past few years in terms of new companies cropping up to do specific tasks in healthcare, help with your billing, help you find a doctor, develop new drugs. There's been consolidation as companies buy each other, insurance companies and pharmacies. And it seems like everyone wants to be the first place a patient goes to do something, to start their journey. So I have two questions for you. The first is what happened in healthcare to create a space for a company like Carbon Health to do tech-enabled care? And as Carbon Health grows successfully, what other opportunities will emerge as a result of that? Well, I don't know that any one thing happened in healthcare. There's constant innovation in healthcare, right? Non-pharmaceutical healthcare in the U.S. is something like $3 trillion dollars. And there's very, very, very little technical innovation there. So when my partner, Aaron, started this business years ago, he decided to build the best software for people to be able to run urgent care, primary care clinics, and go from there. Along the way, Carbon evolved to being a full-stack company that opens and operates clinics. And so today, Carbon runs urgent care, primary care centers in 17 states, over 100 locations all around the U.S. That's certainly the quick history of Carbon Health. What I would say is, look, Robbie, you asked a question about everybody wants to be the place to start their journey. The place everyone starts their healthcare journey is Google, and they want to be seen today. And so what Carbon said is, look, we're not going to be Google, but we can be the place to see people today. And so the reason Carbon has done really well, we didn't exist five years ago, and we have coming up on 2 million active patients now. And that growth has been driven by the fact that 95% of Carbon's patients get a same-day appointment in one of our clinics, and then we do a great job servicing you, and you continue to come back. So it's not that I'm saying anything bad about other players. People have had lots of other strategies. But the truth is, if you think about this from a marketing term standpoint, you want to start at top of funnel. And top of funnel, if you really want to build a relationship with patients, is people that need care today. It's important to not overthink things in business, frankly. What changed over the last five years in urgent care? Because I could never see myself go to an urgent care five years ago or my kids. And now they're beautiful. The employees are great. And there's the relationship that's built between my family and the people there. Is that all that changes the no, experience? I, two things. First of all, 
we don't really talk about urgent care very much at Carbon. The truth is, people don't want urgent care or people don't want primary care. People want to be seen today if something is wrong. And they most of the time want to be seen in person. Sometimes they want to be seen virtually over something like Zoom. But mostly they just want to be seen today. So in most of the rest of the world, urgent care doesn't really exist. In Germany, if you want to go to the doctor, you call and you go see your doctor. In the U.S., less than half of Americans under 60 years old have a primary care doctor. And even if they do, it's on average something like 40 days to get an appointment. So, David, you've never sat around and thought, I need to go to urgent care. You've thought around and said, my kid needs to go to the doctor now because she hurt her knee or she might have the flu or she needs an x-ray or whatever it is. My kid needs to go to the doctor now. And in America, for most people, unless you're very wealthy and have a concierge doctor, on America, for most people, your two choices are go to the emergency room, which have their pluses and minuses. But generally, unless you're very injured, you want to avoid those because of the obvious wait times associated with that. Not saying anything negative about our healthcare partners, just emergency rooms serve an important part of society. But if you've got a respiratory issue, if you need an x-ray, if you think you broke a bone, if you have a laceration, any number of things, you mostly want to get seen now when you'd rather not wait many, many hours. And so urgent care has grown in the U.S. to fill that need. But we don't really think of carbon health as particularly urgent care versus primary care. We are great health care that you can access today. You can book it over your phone. Most people choose to come in in person. Uh, it turns out as much as virtual sounds really good to tech guys like all of us, most people actually want to be seen by a human being in person. But we also do virtual, and that's fantastic. And so if you want an appointment today for your daughter, that's great. And then it turns out what I would say that's happened over the last five years, because urgent care has existed for, since the 70s. What I'd say that's happened over the last five years is I think companies like Carbon yeah. realized if you build a great experience – you can really treat it like top of funnel and build a relationship with you and your family and become your healthcare provider. I think for a long time, it just filled this need between, I'm not an ER, so people will come to me. I actually don't have to have great service because frankly, the bar is so low with an ER, I can just do a fine job. And I think what happened is, if you think of it from a marketing term, the trial rate was very high, but the repeat rate was very low. And so what I think companies like Carbon have done by building a really great experience have said, hey, there's just this demand. Millions of people a day want to be seen by the doctor today. And if we build a really nice experience, they'll keep coming back, you know, when they have needs. And so that's why Carbon is excelled. It's fascinating. One thing you do really well, Ross, besides being a great leader, is raise money from great partners. In January, Carbon Health and CBS. CVS made a, a significant investment in Carbon Health and really believes in the business. What's the goal in that partnership? And where do you see Carbon Health in the years? So we raise a lot of money. CVS put in some of it, of course, and we're very excited. But we raise money from some new financial investors, from CVS, from some existing investors. Obviously, 2022 was not the easiest financing year. So being able to do a priced round with an outside lead in this market speaks to what a great business Carbon Health has built. On CVS specifically, I mean, look, they're a very large public company. I don't want to say anything they haven't said, but CVS today has 1,200 or so locations today where they provide acute care for people inside their stores. I believe they have something, nine or 10,000 stores in the US. Again, don't quote me. And about 1,200 of them have these things called health hubs or minute clinics. And I think CVS sees a great opportunity to bring a carbon type experience to some of those locations. We haven't announced anything specifically with CVS on numbers and when and where, but 
the CEO of CVS, when she was on stage at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, talked about opening carbon locations in partnership with CVS. And that's reasonable guess on what we're going to do together. Pretty amazing. Carbon health, a lot of the emphasis is technology, right? Everything that carbon health is doing is besides the great people that you have and the relationships and the care that you're giving to you know, million plus patients, it is technology. Where do you see artificial intelligence and machine learning playing in your industry specific in healthcare? Sure. So, I mean, like I said, it's important to not overthink things in business. One of the issues that exists in America, well, I said earlier, only 50% of Americans under six years old have a primary care doc. It takes 30 to 40 days to get an appointment. That is not a criticism of primary care docs or urgent care docs, actually. The U.S., for a whole variety of reasons that we're not going to talk about now, does not have enough doctors. There are just flat out not enough doctors to see the number of Americans we have. That is a 20-year problem that no single private company will solve. There's a bunch of public policy reasons and not worth talking about today. I think uh, Derek Thompson wrote a good piece about it in The Atlantic if you want to go read about it. But there just aren't enough human beings who are doctors today in America. So I think the biggest area where AI is going to help in the short run is just provider efficiency. Anything we can do to help your doctor's life be more convenient so that she or he can provide quality care to more patients in a day because they have to do less charting and less after-visit follow-up is, to me, the biggest leverage point. Now, carbon, again, is dealing with one part of the healthcare system. I don't have an intelligent perspective for you on how AI is going to help radiology. I'm sure there's amazing uses for AI on heart transplants and nerves and all of those wonderful things. But the normal interaction people have with healthcare in America today is I have some respiratory issue, I have some skin issue, I have some laceration, I'm worried, did I break a bone? And so that is the normal, just from a volume standpoint, the normal interaction in the US. Anything we can do with technology to help providers be more efficient in their visit and the time they spend checking, meeting with Robbie to see what's wrong, to keep Robbie healthy and happy, and from a provider standpoint, not burn the provider out with their charting. That's the huge benefit. Like I said, there just aren't enough doctors in America. And carbon's not going to solve that. No one's going to solve that. So to me, what we get excited about carbon, what we get excited about AI is just provider efficiency. How do we help the providers that work for carbon do a great job seeing patients all day? And then when their shift ends, whenever it ends, they can go watch their kids' soccer practice, and they don't have to spend three hours at home at night charting, right? This is a huge issue. Anyone listening to this who has a family member who's a doctor or is a doctor themselves, McKinsey has this great pajama time charting study that shows the average primary care doc in the U.S. after their shift ends every single day spends two hours charting from home. That sucks, right? That is horrible as a reality. It's really no one person's fault. It's the fault of technology and workflow. And so if we can take that two hours and make it zero so that you work your job and then you can go to the ballet or coach your kid's soccer team or go for a run, that's what's going to prevent burnout on the primary care and urgent care side and medical side. And so that's where we spend time. I'm sure there's a ton of great innovation. I'm sure there's a ton of great innovation in radiology and neurosurgery. Of course there are, but for carbon, we spend most of our time in just how do we keep our providers happy and efficient and coming to work and seeing patients. How do you stay up to date with the latest technology trends and advancements? And do you evaluate their potential impact on your business today? We have a great team. 
we all spend a lot of time looking at this. One of the nice things about being in Carbon's position, so we're the largest provider in most of the markets where we operate. And so lots of people want to partner with us. So we get pitched all day long on uh, things we can do. One of the reasons Carbon has been successful is our focus on really controlling the stack. So if you come into a Carbon clinic in you know Princeton, everything in there is ours. It's all our software. Everything the patient uses, everything the provider uses is all ours. And so we spend a lot of time looking at Innovate and we are able to do that because we control all the tech. Aside from the tech that Carbon Health is developing, what do you wish someone would build that hasn't already been built? It would make that provider experience more efficient. I mean, look, the obvious use of AI is anything you can do to make charting more efficient for providers. Providers spend a lot of their time providing documentation that they need to fundamentally for the whole process of getting paid by insurance. Anything you can do to make the provider's life more efficient there is a huge win for everyone in the system. How successful you launched Connective Care, I think it was in January up in... Boston's been one of our best markets. So we announced something with BCBS Massachusetts, but Boston's been a market we weren't in nine months ago and our clinics are full and it seems like amazing product market fit. And are we going to see a lot more carbon health in the next two, three years? One of the things with any uh, CapEx heavy business is this is not the best financing environment. So we're not going to open as many in the next 18 months as we opened in the last 18 months. That has less to do with carbon and more to do with the macro financing market. Like we were very excited to raise $150 million over the last 90 days, but our plan was to go public in 2022 and raise much more than that. Every company, we've adjusted our growth around what's happened in the financing market. So putting your entrepreneur hat and some of your most successful companies that you founded and brought to exit, what are some of the biggest challenges you faced early stage in the company and how did you overcome them? Do you have any experience? It could be dynamically identified on the board, but I really only wound up working at Carbon full-time over the last two years. So most of what has been built is not me. It was the team that was here. I was on the board, but board members don't really do anything. But Adify, Dynamic Signal, Comscore, I guess they probably have more relevant experience. So what can I tell you? What do you wish you could tell people more often? If there was a leader, a young CEO? I think there's a huge value in outside board members. I always try to recruit them early. CEO is a really weird job. It's a really lonely job. It's not clear what the job description is other than don't run out of money and hire a good team, which really is the job description is don't run out of money, hire a great team and make sure you have a great strategy. But I think fundamentally, I don't know that being CEO is harder than being CFO, is harder than being general counsel or harder than being head of sales. All leadership jobs are hard. I think CEO job is unique because it's very easy to feel like you're on an island. It's kind of a very lonely job. And you're never going to be 100% honest with the team that works for you. And no matter what VCs want to sell you, you're never going to be 100% honest with things you're worried about with your investors. But you can be with other board members. And so one of the things I always tell people to do is go find someone who's been CEO before, is CEO now, try and recruit them to be an outside board director if you really hit it off with them. And so I just can't stress enough the value of having one or two or three people that you can be really honest about what's happening at your company because companies are broken. I was on a panel the other day. Actually, I was on an SVB panel the other day before what happened. Uh, And someone was asking about the startup ecosystem over the last 25 years. And I said, look, one of the things I don't think people understand is how broken all of these companies are, right? When you start a company, 
Of course, nothing's working. Five people work there, right? You barely have any customers and you're just constantly putting out fires and getting to the next level and getting to the next level. And so what do you focus on? Who are the right team members? Are they in the right roles? Are you focused on too much? Are you focused on the wrong things? There are all of these things that you have to worry about when you're the CEO or when you're the founder of a team. And so I think having people to talk to about that is great. Amazing. Tell me, you don't have to answer this, but I have a question about you, Russ Freedom. What is something unique about yourself that you don't share with many people? I think I'm relatively open. I'm sure there are things unique about me, but I'm not sure that there are anything unique about me that I wouldn't share. I'm just not sure I have a good answer. Great. Well, Robbie, you have anything else? Yeah. I mean, there's another fun question that's another one you answered earlier that I love to ask, which is like, you have a job already and you've had jobs already, but if you could drop everything and invent something and build a company out of it, what do you think it would be? I've been pretty fortunate to build companies and be a part of building companies in a lot of spaces, right? Ad networks and research and wine and healthcare and HR technology. So I will say the best part about the startup journey is working with amazing people on a big problem. I'm not saying I don't really care what space I work in, but I think there's so many great ideas. There's so many areas to innovate that I have kind of a wide aperture of where I'd be happy working as long as it's with great people where you get to work hard every day. Frankly, one of the reasons I wound up at Carbon is the idea of founding another company during COVID seemed depressing to me because I don't want to get into the pros and cons of remote work. People have different opinions and I don't care. I would never start a company that wasn't in person, personally. Frankly, for my own, where I want to spend my time, I want to spend my time around amazing people working on a big, hard problem. And you just can't get that over Zoom. Look, I think it depends how hard you want to work. I think it depends how ambitious you are. I think it depends where you are in your career. I think a reasonable way to think about the world is this probably only, if you're starting a company, even though it's a one in a million chance, you really want to build something that's going to be worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, because that means it's really impacted a huge number of people around the world. So there's really only six areas, I think, where you can build a kind of world-changing company, right? You can build one in advertising, except you really can because of Google and Facebook. Plus, it's boring. David and I have worked in there for a lot of the last 25 years. It's not that interesting. But So I wouldn't do anything there. Two, you can do something in cloud computing. But again, Microsoft really owns that space. There's really nothing you can do there, Microsoft and Amazon. So I don't know that I would go build another SaaS company, particularly even though there's a lot of areas to build companies. Three, you can do something in healthcare. We're doing that in carbon, right? It's an enormous space. You can build companies worth many hundreds of millions of dollars that touch tens of millions of people's lives and materially improve them. And so I think we're doing that in carbon. It's possible I'll do something else in healthcare, not necessarily in acute care, because I think what carbon is doing is already dominant there. But uh, you can theoretically do something in fintech. I'm not sure that's a market I personally have a lot of passion for, but you've seen things in the banking world or in the credit world or in the insurance world where you can theoretically build a gigantic, gigantic, dent the universe size company. Uh, you can do something in agriculture and you can do something in space. I think those to me are kind of the six categories where theoretically you could build a trillion dollar company. And so to me, I'd probably wind up doing something in healthcare again, or probably wind up doing something in agriculture personally. Those are the two areas where I think you can have the biggest impact on society where you're not dealing with fundamentally Google or Microsoft. But again, my general perspective, I'm not a, oh, the idea doesn't matter. Of course the idea matters. It's fucking absurd. People that believe the idea doesn't matter, they're just wrong. I mean, it doesn't matter, right? They're just wrong. But I think so much of it is, can you and a team of great people work nonstop on this idea? Do you have enough passion for it? 
you're able to raise money for it, all of those things. And so I think probably healthcare agriculture, but I don't know, maybe I'll build another ad tech company. You went from you know, ad tech to a few places, but healthcare, which is heavily regulated. Many of the industries you identified there are very, have a, a strong government involvement, if not heavily regulated. Does that affect your opinion at all in terms of the restrictions you've had to work under? The government regulates things that are big and impactful society. So if you're going to build a company that is going to be large and impactful for society and you succeed, there will be government. That's kind of normal. I can't think of a category where you can build something truly interesting where the government's not going to care. I'm not trying to be cute with that answer, but I can't think of a part of society that impacts tens of millions of Americans where the government isn't involved. Maybe, I guess you could say cloud computing, right? I can even say the government doesn't spend a lot of time worrying about AWS or Microsoft, right? So B2B enterprise software is probably the best area where you can build a giant company where the government cares the least. I don't know. I'm not planning on breaking any laws anyway. We don't worry about the government being involved in what carbon does. It's important to understand the way healthcare laws work, but they're pretty understandable. A long time ago, I helped a founder start something in a little morbid, basically in the death space, right? In the funeral range space, I was helping them and like talk about regulation. Like there's a lot of regulations around like the care and handling of dead bodies, but there should be, right? So you can still build a big company in that space. And what I've generally found is... I don't know that I have the personality type. I'm not getting into right or wrong. I don't know that I have the personality type to do something like Uber, Airbnb, where fundamentally you're doing something that is illegal, but the laws are dumb. And so you just have an ambitious entrepreneur that does something audacious and then assumes that regulations will come along to fit them. Obviously, Uber did an amazing job there. So did Airbnb. Your mileage may vary on how you think about Bitcoin and crypto and the approach they've taken to regulations. And I'm not I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying, like, I don't think I have the personality type to do something there without criticizing them. I love Uber, use it all the time. But I think fundamentally, a uh, category being regulated doesn't mean it's something you should avoid. You know, when you say agriculture, like, you can, there are businesses with hundreds of billions of dollars in value in the agriculture space. And obviously, our food supply should be regulated in some way. I can't tell you how much we thank you for joining us today. You're an amazing person, an amazing entrepreneur. I thank you very much. You're the best. All right. Good luck with the podcast. <laughs> Bye. Thank, thank you, Russ.